Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the Win Without Competing Show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, career coach one and author of Win Without Competing. Now, here's Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. Welcome to my show. In tough economic times, it is especially important to implement my Right Fit Method, which will enable you to win without competing in your career and in your life. Today, my guest is Nat Bothwell, MBA, the winner of the 2009 Right Fit Award. Shortly, you will meet Nat and participate in his first coaching session. This is the first time that I will do a live, on-air coaching session. Hold on for the ride. Here's how I found Nat. In February, Barrow Global Search, Inc., of which I am the founder and CEO, issued a press release and also sent the information to our firm's database of candidates, which included Nat. I created a blueprint of the right fit guest, and here are some of the key points. Blast resumes from Burbank to Bombay. Needs new career advice. Ah, forgot to mention that this is a unique contest. Searching for the right fit guest, not the best. Unemployed for six months or more. Makes few with any cold calls in pursuit of a new position. Needs phone interview strategies. Has difficulty getting interviews. Needs to take charge. Not called back for a second interview. Needs successful interview strategies. Unable to close the deal and hear you're hired. How to enter the contest. What Nat was required to do was to submit a voicemail pitch, which targeted the numbered points in the blueprint, some of which I just discussed, and try to figure out which points were more important than the other. Here's Nat's voicemail pitch. I'm calling in response to an email which I read. My name is Nat Bothwell. I've been unemployed since May 2008, and I have not read your book. I do have an MBA from Wake Forest, I have a resume that's reasonably self-evident. I have sent that resume across the world. At this point, nine months into my search, honestly, I'm skeptical of an easy button or a quick fix. I'm somebody that believes in hard work. I don't often ask for help, and it may explain why I'm lousy in interviews. It may be pride. It might be an ego issue. I don't know. I know what I'm capable of. 
I know I can help any organization. I don't do well with the song and dance of job interviews. I am a producer, not a performer. I can tell you that I've applied online. I've kept my routine each day the same. I've applied online for more than 100 positions, and I've had one call back. My resume has been professionally written, and I have participated in that fully. Every day I get emails from job boards. The way that I'm looking for a job today is not a productive recipe for finding a job. So I'm interested in your contest, and I'm open to new ideas. Welcome, Nat, to Win Without Competing, and congratulations. Thank you, Dr. Arlene. It's great to be here. When we first spoke, I asked you if you knew anything about my right fit method, and you said, I'm as cold as it gets. Today, we're going to change that. Okay. But first, I want you to hear what your references said about you when I called them. Here's what one reference said. A sales, passionate about his work, a team player that has the best interests of the organization in his heart, proud of his work, does not sit idly by, proactive and sells his ideas, created the marketing department at the bank, good at branding, which he understands from top to bottom, created innovative designs for TV ads. Here's what another reference said. He is a high-driven type A who has mastered the most important aspect of communication, which is listening. He has a very fast-working mind. He has the highest level of integrity regarding honesty, thinks outside the box, meticulous to the nth degree. He's brilliant. He has the gift of execution. How do you feel, Nat, after hearing those references? Sounds like I chose the right guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you are courageous. You entered a contest, won, and agreed to learn the right fit method without knowing what it is. That's right. Uh, I think you know your email absolutely intrigued me. Maybe you should explain what really sort of intrigued you when you when you read that email what really turns you on because you did a beautiful job on the pitch you hit the key points and I could tell by your voice that you were sincere and that you were not in the best possible mood <laughs> well absolutely it's you know it's been a long road and I think in the course of 10 months you're going to have you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. And not that it was a particularly bad day, but, you know, when I saw your email, I just, my first thought was I have no downside here. So this is absolutely an opportunity. I should at least make an attempt to get in the running and see and see how I do. And the way you positioned it, it was a challenge uh, to me uh, it, to see if I would be able to reach you, the target audience. So I think probably on some on some level that was going through my head. So, um, but I absolutely had no downside, no nothing to lose by uh, throwing my name in the hat. Well, you know, you really are gutsy, and the reason for that is, before I take on a new coaching client, 
I ask that person to read Win Without Competing. Because you are a content winner, I needed to keep you in the dark until today. You did a very good job of that. Thank you. <laughs> so you will attest again that you have not read Win Without Competing, that. I have been completely in the dark, and that's that, that might have kept me up a little bit, but I am coming in <laughs> still as cold as it gets. Good. I want to share why and how I created the method. I think this will make you feel more comfortable. How's that sound? Uh, comfortable sounds very good. Good. After spending many years in high-level healthcare management and consulting, I entered the world of executive search in 1995. Accustomed to the road less traveled, I decided to create a method for presenting one right fit candidate to client employers and conclude the search. Notice that that's what I was looking for in the contest, one right fit candidate. Undaunted by the prevailing mindset that employers must compare and contrast many candidates to find the best, I was determined that this mindset could lead to hiring the wrong fit. I thought about what my dad taught me as a child regarding standards. Don't pick the best banana, he said. Select the one that meets your standards. If all the bananas are rotten and you select the best, you will still have a rotten banana. Eureka, I would in concert with the employer cre create a blueprint of the right fit candidate. In 1998, I pilot tested the early version of my right fit method with Tom Lombardo, the founding editor in chief of, many, of WebMD. Many years later, I wrote Win Without Competing, Career Success the Right Fit Way, to teach candidates employees, entrepreneurs, and employers how to implement my right fit method. Lombardo, in the Forward to Win Without Competing, said, I hired 40 candidates from Dr. Barrow. The right fit method worked for WebMD's growth in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Canada. Together, we built WebMD. Nat, take us back to May 9, 2008. When A and B bank shares closed its doors, you were given two hours' notice. Tell us what happened and how you felt. Well, uh, it was a situation where we were all called downstairs to to meet, and we had to wait a few minutes, and it was an awkward wait. And our CEO was asked to, to read a letter that basically said that the that the bank was going to close. A and B was a a bank that we had built. We started it in 1994 with 30 employees, half of which were still with the bank. The other half, along the, year, along the way, over the years, had retired or moved out of the area. But we had great retention. We had a great culture. We had a lot of things going for us, nationally ranked in, in prior years. But we were so heavily invested in real estate that the bank ran into trouble as soon as the real estate market turned. And unfortunately, it was early, early on in this existing economy. So there were there were no nets. So... That was a difficult day, and it was a day that none of us were prepared for. And instantly, some of us had to switch gears. Uh, some people were interviewing the very next day to be kept on by the bank who bought the assets of A and B. 
those folks were folks that worked in the lobbies, uh, that worked in the banks. They had customer contact. I was in the marketing area of the holding company, and the acquiring bank already had a marketing department. And they made that very clear. And we had some extremely talented people uh, in my area, uh, which were never considered. Their work was never even looked at. So it was very tough to know that you had done some great things, you had actually built something, you had built a brand. Our products and our presentation was better than the acquiring bank. Of course, I have to believe that, but I do believe that. And we weren't given a fair shot. You pick up, you move on. And, you know, for me, since May 9th, um, it's been about about moving on. Sometimes people feel when they're unemployed that it's a stigma. How have you felt about that label? Oh, it's absolutely stigma. <laughs> I mean, that's that's my that's my perspective. I've really had a hard time with that. I like to work. I like to do the work. Even in my unemployment, I've come into an office every day. I've gotten up in the morning at 5 or 5.30 to go to the gym. I've kept my routine, and that's important for me. I, I have to keep moving. The opportunities will absolutely pass me by if I don't. So I've had trouble with, with, with that situation and just the idea of it. I think that you should just say to yourself that you could not control what happened with the bank and that maybe you should kind of look at it as um, you know a short-term sabbatical and that'll help you reduce the stress you know we have more than 12 million unemployed and I think to be successful you have to some extent distance yourself from it and tell yourself let's use this time to investigate and to think of it as a new opportunity rather than a disaster. It did get easier. I think as, and this sounds counterintuitive, but as the economy worsened and it became clear that it was a bigger a bigger issue and not mismanagement, it became clear that we were up against something that was, was much bigger than us, it did become easier on some level. And, you know, from my perspective, I'd been in that position and with those folks for a dozen years. So I did see it as, well, maybe this is my opportunity to do anything I want to do. And so in my job search, I mean, I think it is fair to say that I have been fairly selective with, with the positions that I have applied for. And on the one occasion when I was offered a position, I, I, did, I did turn down one position, and that was in August. It was with a smaller bank that was in the area that was soon going to have its own difficulties. It was half the money, twice the work, and it just didn't feel right. And, and with that mindset that this could be my, my launch point to something new, I passed on it. Now, I've, I've at times regretted that in the months that followed, but you know, I come back around to that, that perspective that this is my time. That's good. I wanted to step back a moment to the bank. I wanted to see whether there were any warning signs that the bank would be closing. There were. The, okay. the OCC is, is under guidelines to do that sort of thing, so there were letters issued. We had people in the building. I, I think, you know, looking back, it's always clear, but also in our situation, 
we had very capable management that had gotten us through, uh, you know, tight times before, and there was a great culture that that kept everybody on board. I think typically in that situation you'd see people leaving. In our situation, we had faith and we we kept believing that somehow we'd, we'd find a solution. The reason why I'm asking you that question is that I really believe that people should be very aware of telltale signs and that if they suspect that their company could be closing, that they should start looking. That doesn't mean you walk out the door, but that you start looking. I think that if you take that approach, it helps if suddenly the day occurs and the axe falls. And and today that's very clear, and I think today if I were to go to a different position, it would be easier to do. I think in our situation it was a little unique because it was something that you'd seen built from the ground up. So the folks that I was working with were in a lot of ways family. So it was hard to just to think of myself on and myself only, especially being you know the manager of that department. I really felt an obligation to the people that 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 I that I had a responsibility for. And um, I probably could have handled that differently, but I don't regret the way I did handle it. Well, that's good. I'm thinking in terms of our listeners who may be in a situation where they suspect that the doors could be closing or there could be downsizing, that if they see the signs, they should, you know, start preparing, which also means that you take home certain things. You know, you you take home your personal possessions. Did you were you able to take your things with you within that two hour notice? Well, no, but no. Uh, see, and, that's that's exactly <laughs> my point. Yeah, you, you you have yeah, that's exactly a great point. Now we were fortunate that in our situation, uh, we were given a week to wrap up after after the fact, uh, and so especially in my area where you have people that have worked on art and things that they've created that are part of their portfolio, that's what they've done. That's their billboard to get another job. So they really needed to have access to that. And I was the same way. I, I needed to have a reel of, of my work. So in, in my case, I was fortunate that they were understanding and allowed us access to that. But absolutely, if, if the signs are there, basic, definitely based on my experience, I would say you want to be aware. You want to be aware and you want to prepare. So that I advise people to take all their personal stuff home, all the contacts that they need, and in the event that something does happen, you do want to, if the doors are not being closed, to negotiate a forwarding address on the email and the ability to leave a forwarding number on the voicemail. And there's a mental aspect to it too, I would say, preparing, you know, in in the in the physical sense, but also, you know, mentally. Absolutely. Because I I I to be honest with you, we weren't. Uh, you know, even though the the signs were there, we hadn't done enough to prepare ourselves for for the possibility that that day would happen. Right. So it was a shock in actuality because you hadn't prepared for it. Which only caused it then to to linger longer than it probably should have in the months that followed. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I know that you basically grew up with the bank, and um, I'm sure there are a number of accomplishments that are very dear to you. Can you share some of those accomplishments? Well, we were always active in our in our community, and we because of that, I had an opportunity to support a number of community events, and I think that was probably one thing that I got a lot of satisfaction out of in my affiliation with the bank that was helping to make those things happen. One was a summer concert series that brought live music to the area. It's a small market area, and we were able to do some things to, to get that off the ground. I was proud of that. One was uh, an organization called Rebuilding Together. Uh, there was a Northwest Arkansas affiliate that because of our sponsorship, they were able to get started, and in many ways, they were five years ahead of a much larger market, which is Tulsa, Oklahoma, be- because of and as a direct result of our participation and our sponsorship and our leadership. And that, that wasn't just me. That was our CEO as well. But I think seeing the work that some of these nonprofits were able to do because of our involvement absolutely made the meaning of life stuff come through in the work. It made a rewarding rewarding job. Tell us about some other things that you did in terms of building the marketing department because you, in actuality, set it up from scratch after you finished your MBA. That's right. At age 26. <laughs> wow. You did do your homework. Uh, I, uh, you are thorough. I know I, 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 I do get a feeling that's true. I, wait, I, till you, wait till you read that book, Nat. And I haven't even read the book yet. And you haven't even read the book, and we're getting you prepped and ready to roll. So when the show ends, you'll be able to open that book and start reading. But we'll be talking about that before we end our coaching session. So give us some more information about the accomplishments. We're going to use that a little bit later in our coaching session. Okay. Well, I was brought back to the bank to launch the Internet banking site, which in 1996, there were 30 banks in the country or less that actually had an Internet banking system. Because there were so few banks doing it, we basically had to build that from scratch. And although I didn't have any qualifications to do the layouts for those pages and the copywriting for those pages and the graphics for those pages, no one else did either. So by default, I was the marketing person with my background. And actually, I I jumped in. I, this is something that I loved. It was the face of the bank. It was the soul of the institution, and the challenge of articulating that to an audience is something that, as I did more and more of it, I knew instantly that it was something I was attracted to. But as I as I worked and and worked to develop that identity, it just became a real passion for me. So, the internet work led to copywriting and graphic design for the bank internally, and eventually we let our ad agency go, and I took it on myself. And for about four or five years, I was a one-man show. Um, eventually, the bank grew so much. Again, we, we when I came back from the MBA program, we had a, a $200 million bank. Well, by the time the bank closed, we were a $2 billion bank, so there was a huge amount of growth. And for a large part of that, I was a one-man operation. I redesigned the, the logo and all the collateral material consistency is something that I absolutely believe in and the integrated communications that go along with that. So I put some programs in place that I don't believe you have to be a large company uh, to build a brand. I believe that those same principles can be applied 
in a smaller organization. So for me, it was a challenge to make that real in our area. And so I did that on my own, which gave me all the skills I needed to work with others and, and grow the department and, and be more of a, a manager eventually at the end, which you know, bulk of my of my work entailed coordinating uh, that group in in the in the markets that we were serving, which at that point, by the end of A and B, was you know, included five states. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us that you're proud of? I'm proud of my work. I, yeah, I, I'm absolutely proud of my work. I, I think you probably heard that I'm stubborn on some things, and I actually don't mind being stubborn on. Well, some they things. didn't. They didn't say you were stubborn. <laughs> oh no, no one said that. I'm uh, open to change, but on some things I am stubborn. I, I think quality and those standards are. That's something well, that I, I. I'm absolutely. Uh, it's it's top of mind for me. And well. I'm also I also have very high standards. That's why we're not going to stop at making you the right fit. We want you to be the flawless fit now. <laughs> so we're gonna raise the standards to meet your expectations. So this I'm... is going to work out beautifully. No, they just said that basically you're a very detailed oriented person. No one said you were stubborn. <laughs> I'm still a big picture guy, but I definitely have an eye for for the product that we put out there and and because it was so close to my heart, I definitely had a passion and a and a concern that maybe went above and beyond. Well, I think that's probably why uh you didn't say to yourself, "The bank is not going to make it. I need to start looking around because you basically had a baby that you nurtured. It's pretty hard to leave one's baby. I wasn't going to bail. That's right. Right. That's right. So let's go further. Um, After the bank closed, can you explain how long did it take you to begin your job search? And you indicated about, you know, sending out your resume. Did you read any books? How did you decide um, what the right steps were to take? I instantly knew that I needed help. I'd, although I had written for the bank for a number of years, and that was very comfortable for me, and writing for something else other than me is very comfortable for me, I knew that in my case I was going to need somebody who did this for a living. And, and I did reach out to a firm that does assist in professionally organizing your resume, and they do ask some very good questions that – I wouldn't have asked myself, and in doing that, it drew out a lot of the activities and a lot of the experiences that I had forgotten about. So I don't, that was money well spent, I still believe, even though the final product definitely follows convention. It's it's exactly within the norm. It is It is accurate, and it is more detailed than what I would have produced on my own. And that process took probably close to four to six weeks. Oh, well, we're going to have you revamp it in a day. Okay. It's a piece of cake. We're going to, we are going to make some changes, but I'm going to save those changes for another point in time. But there are some changes. I am, however, very pleased that the focus is on accomplishments, on outcomes. Frequently, you know, given that I run a search firm, 
we literally get, you know, hundreds and hundreds of resumes. And quite often, the emphasis is on process, what you do, and the potential employers really need to know what you achieve. Because there can be lots of process, but no successful outcomes or results. Exactly. So they did you a great service by focusing in on the accomplishments. But there are some other things that we can do to highlight and to differentiate. And we'll talk about that at another point in time. But the key thing of the accomplishments, uh, I agree with you. I don't know what you spent, but that's a very important thing that they did for you. Absolutely. So let's go further. Okay. Okay. Um, fine. Then your resume was ready to go. How did you decide what to do? You did say that you were selective about sending your resume. So you didn't just, you did some blasting, but it was to some extent selective. But we're going to, of course, use the right fit method where we just don't send out resumes anymore. We're going to take another approach, which we'll discuss momentarily. Uh, but tell us what you did. Well, I was selective, but after 10 months, it's the equivalent to a blast. So. <laughs> okay. So. Um, I, I did sign up for all of the daily notifications. I had all of the search, you know, the, the monster. The, well, I had all the job sites that have the daily updates. I was signed up for all of those. I had described and used the keywords to try and filter down to a position that would fit me. I still receive those. I, I get so many of those. It has become my routine to come in in the morning and scroll through those and work through those and just see what's there that might fit. And then the process is very simple after that. If I find something that I'm excited about, I click the online apply apply online button and and then I hear nothing until I get an email a few weeks later saying thank you and we'll keep your resume for future reference. Okay. All right. Did you read any books at all? I've read lots of books. All right. And do they all say the same thing? <laughs> I've I've read a variety of books, not not necessarily about the job search. It's it's been a year where you you look to different books to get you through it. Okay, the psychological support. Absolutely, and the marketing books to keep me tuned in and and possibly prepare the way. If entrepreneurship is something in my future, I'm going to be, I want to be open to that, and I've been trying to keep sharp. Okay, all right. Um, let's talk further about the fact that when you joined the bank at age 26, they basically recruited you. Am I correct that this is the first time that you're really in the job search mode? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to close the door on what I call the shotgun road blasting your resume from Burbank to Bombay, which didn't work because you didn't have a destination. Now it's time to take the right fit road. Together, 
We will walk down that road until you hear you're hired. How's that sound? That sounds good. Okay. I'm going to talk about three basic principles of the right fit method. The first, compete with yourself, never against others, and you will win without competing, which means you raise the bar higher and higher, which matches who you are because you focus in on high standards. You also exercise every day, correct? Yes. Okay. Do you keep raising the bar? I keep trying. Okay. Okay. Are you not, uh, when you exercise, are you walking? Are you running? What are you doing? I'm doing a little bit of everything, and I have, I do have uh, another another fellow that I've met through the gym, and, and he and I keep each other honest, and uh, his wife keeps me honest as well because she'll show up from time to time. So together we uh, guilt each other into being there on time. Okay. All right. Um, have you read any books by Warren Buffett? No. Okay. You might want to look into some of his books because obviously he is an entrepreneur extraordinaire. What he says is, with respect to competition, I can't play the other guy's game. Second principle, make no assumptions and open those doors. When you apply for a position, do you think to yourself that the employer knows what they're looking for? I do think that. Okay. That's an erroneous assumption. (laughs) Frequently, employers do not know. What they do is they parade candidates in front. You know, they keep interviewing. And they compare and contrast, hoping that one will emerge. So that's an extremely important bit of information. File it, and we're going to get to it again shortly. All right? All right. Okay. Salary. If the employer asks you what you're currently making, would you tell the employer what you're currently making? I would. You would, okay. Why? Uh, I'd answer a direct question with a direct answer. I think that's just probably my nature. Okay. Sometimes people ask you questions, and they may not, for whatever reason, be a question that you necessarily want to answer. If you initially state the salary that you earned, notice I'm not asking you to say how much you earned, even though I know the answer to that question. And the reason for that is twofold. One, once they know the salary and they know that you're also unemployed, they could make the decision to offer you less than what you were earning, okay? The second is that for whatever reason, a salary level conjures up an image. You may decide 
that you would like to take something a little less if you think that the opportunity will be something that will enable you to grow Mm -hmm. and to build something Mm -hmm. so that you don't want to rush to divulge your past salary. Okay? So again, people assume that because a question is asked, you need to answer it. People sometimes, even though they should not, ask personal questions. You know, are you married? Do you have children? Those are not questions that should be asked on an interview. So because someone asks the question, you do not necessarily have to feel obliged to answer. However, one must always be gracious in terms of how you respond. Hmm. And you'll learn more when you read Win Without Competing about how to do that, and we'll also be talking as our conversations continue. Okay. Okay. If you have an interview and you don't receive a call back for a couple of months, how do you respond to that? A couple of months? Well, I haven't had... Well, that I know because you had the one interview. I haven't had that many opportunities. Right, right. But I'm trying to set the stage for how you're going to be feeling. We're toughening you up, Nat. Gotcha. Yeah, if we're I, toughening I, you up. Well, <laughs> well we I, have to because we don't want you to take anything personally. Right. What happens is if the employer is taking the approach of searching for the best and not the right fit, they're going to be interviewing lots and lots of candidates and bring many of them back. This takes months. Okay, so the point is that if it's a a large company, that the fact that you didn't receive a call back doesn't necessarily mean that you've been excluded. Now, in one case where I did have a call, a telephone interview, and I thought it went pretty well, and it was a large organization, I didn't hear anything for a couple weeks. The holidays were there as well. I gave them a little bit of an allowance, and then I I did call back, and then I did email to see what the status was of the decision. And did you find out what the status was? I found out that they were still considering the position, and at that point they were considering eliminating the position or, or withdrawing the position because of the economy, the situation there. But, but ultimately I did receive then within a week of that notification that they had gone forward and filled it. So, Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon. <laughs> What can I tell you? Um, But always keep an open mind, and you do need to follow up. And if for some reason somebody tells you you're no longer under consideration when they did interview you, it's extremely important to find out why. Gotcha. Even though you may not want to hear the reasons, You must inquire, why not? So you would say something like this. I'm disappointed because I was very interested in this opportunity. Can you tell me why I'm no longer under consideration? 
and see what kind of response you get. Okay. Okay. It's very interesting. A number of years ago, I had a client interviewing in my offices a candidate, and I noticed during the course of the interview, the client, the CEO, started looking at the male candidate's leg. Lo and behold, what did he see? A tattoo? No. No idea. The socks. Oh, okay. The socks were unraveling down the legs. And that's all he kept doing was staring at the socks as they kept going down, down, and down. That was it. That distractor was the end for that candidate. Hmm. That's why you're going to become the flawless fit. I'll have to check my sock drawer when I get home. (laughs) Yeah, people, for whatever reason, focus on the distractors. So you have to be sure that there are no distractors. It's all up to you. The third point. The right fit method empowers you to act and basically posits that it's all up to you. So that really encompasses the underlying principle of the entire method. Okay. Let's go forward. This is what we're going to get ready to do. The first, determine whether you want another high-level position or change your core identity from employee to an entrepreneur. You touched upon that earlier. Right. Okay. So we're setting the stage to figure that out. We can't figure that out today. Okay. Point two, we want to create a blueprint of either the right fit position or the right fit business after we figure it out. Because the book can help me either way. That's correct. Okay. The same skills and the same strategies and the same stellar techniques will work for both. Gotcha. Point three. We want you to learn how to change your behavior in a variety of different ways. Hold on, that. <laughs> Instead of sending out your resume first, what do you think you're going to be doing? I have no idea. You're going to make a cold call. So in other words, we're going to do a little role-playing in a moment, and you'll see how this is going to work. Okay, because I've done this, not exactly this, but I've done something close to this, and I was equally disappointed. But You were disappointed with what? Making a cold call? Well, what happened, I... In this case, I had actually found a position that I was extremely excited about, and I knew it was a new listing. And so after I had applied, I immediately called. I talked to HR. I found it out it had only been listed for an hour. I was very excited by this. And then I asked, how many applications have you received so far? And the answer was about 1,200. 
and that was very demoralizing. Okay. And and she made a note, and she mm-hmm. said that she was going to make a note and set my resume aside, and I didn't hear anything. Okay. First of all, what you're going to do the next time is you're going to figure out the name of the person to whom you would report. It is that person that you would make the cold call to, the decision maker. Mm -hmm. The Human Resources Department is very helpful in terms of the initial screening of resumes and will take those and present them to the person to whom the position will report. But the decision ultimately will be in the hands of the person to whom you would report. Right. So it is that person that you would make the cold call to. The question is what to say. What do you say, exactly? Well, we're getting to it. We're going to find out in a moment. (laughs) In your winning voicemail pitch, you said, I don't do well with the song and dance of job interviews. I am a producer, not a performer. That's correct. Well, Matt, gradually we're going to turn you into a performer. Oh, I'm holding my forehead. Okay. You can do it now. You can do it. Okay. Listen to this ad. Searching for an executive vice president of marketing at Big Box Bank in Boston, Massachusetts. That's my hometown. I like Boston. Oh, good. Okay. New position, no phone calls, email resume only, salary negotiable, relocation. All right. So what do you think? Is this some a position that you would apply for? It's a position I could absolutely do. Okay. Um, what would be your first step? I would email her. <laughs> okay. No. That's no longer your first step. Now I'm going to call. Now I'm going to call. Right. Okay. okay. What we're going to do is, all right, so that's the first thing we're going to call, and you and I are going to have a lovely chat. Mm. I'm going to play the role of the CEO. All right? Okay. Okay. Um, let me ask you this. It also says no phone calls. How are you feeling about this? It's a double whammy. No phone calls. Email resume only. I would typically follow the directions, and that's probably where I've gone wrong to this point. So My my case rests, Your Honor. That's right. My case rests. Absolutely. Because they write no phone calls, that's fine. Because they write email resume only, that's fine. They can write what they want. You want the right fit position. You have no choice. Right. You have to proceed. That's a good okay. way. Of, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? You're Somebody right. Somebody c- could hang up on you. What's the worst thing? That's right. Yeah. They're in Boston. Right. Uh, let's talk about Boston a bit, Nat. <laughs> um, now, 
you're living in Rogers, Arkansas. Tell us the size of the population of Rogers. It's in northwest Arkansas. So even though Rogers may be about 50,000 people, I think the, the two-county area is an MSA. So they're, they're probably 250,000 or 300 in the area, and it's reasonably close to bigger metropolitan areas. All right. Uh, but, of course, Boston has I don't know how many millions. Oh, it's you, no Boston. That's my point. Okay. Okay. So the first question is, remember, ultimately, you'll be creating a blueprint of the right fit position or business. And we need to think about now, would you seriously relocate to Boston? For the your, right opportunity? You would leave your family? I know your parents are in your geographical area and you have a sister. You're right. And that would that would be tough. They would support me. Anyway, if it was the right opportunity that had a lot of upside, I think it would be very difficult not to seriously consider doing it. Okay. Especially at this point, this far into it. The reason why I want to discuss this now is it's not uncommon for me to receive phone calls from people who've moved across the country who then tell me they're not happy about where they're living. So, I The one time I did send my resume to Shanghai, that was, that was not realistic. Okay. Okay. All right. So you even you even you even blasted Shanghai. <laughs> I didn't get to Bombay, but I did get to Shanghai. Okay. All right. So I think it's something you really need to talk to yourself about as to if you would relocate, where would you be comfortable relocating? It's not a good idea to start the interview process and then when it's time for the offer to be extended, you've decided you really can't relocate. Right. You and I think it's important. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say you don't want to do this because it really creates a bad impression. And there is no point in creating a bad impression. And when I'm doing a search, I never present a candidate, the one right fit candidate to the employer, unless... I'm absolutely sure that that candidate will relocate. If right. I am not, I do not present that candidate. Right. For me, I've I never, think... yeah, I've never, I've never had a problem since 1995 when I started executive search. I never presented anybody who then uh, refused to accept the position because of relocation. Right. And, and and for me, I think if you if the question was framed a little a little differently, I would have. I'd have to make some choices if you'd ask me that I had a choice of two positions and one was in Boston and one was a little closer to home and they were you know, comparable. I, I believe you'd see me, you know, favor. Obviously. All right, but remember, we're not going to be comparing and contrasting anymore. We're going to only match the position to the blueprint of the right fit. But that's okay. You okay. need to learn more, Nat. I have You're getting I need, there. Right. I'm gonna. Okay. I'm going to read up. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Okay. Right. So now, let's go further. Okay. Um, I'm going to be the CEO. You're going to be ringing up. Let's hear what you would say to me, keeping in mind 
you are not going to send your resume ahead. I'm talking about a cold call. He knows, or she knows absolutely nothing about you. All right? So you have to change your mindset because that person will only know what you tell that person. And remember some of the things we talked about earlier. I'll give you a little help because it's the beginning. All right? Um, And that is, do not make the erroneous assumption that the employer knows exactly what he or she is looking for. Remember what I said, a new position. I told you that for a specific purpose. That means they don't have a track record. They know they're establishing this new position. Notice I didn't tell you anything about it. I only gave you a title, okay. the same title you had before. I also told you it was a bank, and that was to get you to feel comfortable. We will be talking as to whether you would be comfortable changing industries, but at this moment, we want to gradually build you up to use the right fit method. Okay. Okay. So keep in mind, new position, think to yourself, do they really know what they're looking for? Um, Okay. So I think I've told you enough. So now let's begin. I've got okay. one or two ways I can go with this. So okay, do you, do you want to? Well, do you want to try two different ways, and we can do it two different ways? What would you like to do? Oh, I'm reasonably sure I'm not going to do well at either one in terms of the. No, no, no. We don't want to undermine oneself here. You'll do fine. You'll do fine. You just need the confidence to do it. That's why we're going to role play. Okay. Yeah, and when you read the book, you'll see that there are a number of different times that I suggest the role-playing so that after a while, it's easy. I'm just curious, do you do this with your other candidates? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I role-play with every single person I coach, every person. Gotcha. I have to because you don't think everybody is dying to do a cold call. They all sort of do what you do. I I feel them getting nauseous at the other end of the phone. (laughs) However, I'm going to tell you a secret. I love cold calling. I absolutely love it. Well, I can see that. Oh, good. Well, I'm just saying, I don't think that you probably meet many strangers, and I can see you getting in there and making that contact. Yeah, I'm very comfortable. I also think that when I make a cold call, it gives me the opportunity to make a connection and to learn more, perhaps more than what I had expected, which could be of help to both sides of the table. So I see it as an exciting adventure. And when I do radio interviews, and if I say I love cold calling, my phone runs off the hook. Because most people, unless they do it for a living, don't enjoy cold calling. Right. Okay? So, let's give it a whirl. What do you think? Okay. 
Okay. So I'm the CEO, and let's say the phone is ringing. And well, okay, the phone can't be ringing because chances are I'm going to have an assistant that will have to put the call through. In order not to unduly stress you, let's say that you're clever enough. I'm going to give you a very clever little tactic here. You're going to be calling Boston. You're going to be calling really early in the morning in hopes that the CEO's assistant has not arrived at the bank yet and that the CEO could be in the bank by himself or herself and could be picking up the call. Okay? Okay. So you won't have to pass through the assistant because that's another challenge here. All right? So I'm going to pick up the call, and then you're going to take it from there explaining why you're calling. And let's see what you're going to find out about the opportunity. All right? Good morning. This is Big Bucks Bank. Dr. Barrow, my name's Matt Bothwell, and I see that you're looking for a new EVP of marketing. I am. That was clever of you to call early in the morning before my assistant arrived. You're making this too easy. Okay. Well, I, 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 have to, I want you to start asking the questions, so that's okay. why I don't want to make it so tough here. Okay. All right. So let's. Were, go I forward. thought you were going to say the ad clearly said no phone calls. No, 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 oh. no, 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 no. Well, let me let me go further. Remember, I don't know if that person knows that. Okay. If the HR department wrote that, the CEO may not know that. I don't make that assumption. That's why I'm not going to say that. Gotcha. Okay. So you don't want to make that assumption either. We're going to rid ourselves of all these wretched, erroneous assumptions. Okay. All right. So now. Go ahead. Well, I was just curious if you have had that position open long and if you know exactly who you're looking for to fill that role and what they might be focused on in their daily activities. Well, I'll tell you, Mr. Bothwell, I am delighted to hear from you. We recently uh, announced the position. It's a new position for our bank. Our bank is rather new. We've only been in business for a couple of years, so frankly, we really are not clear about what we're looking for. We're planning to interview lots of people and hope that the image could emerge. Well, if you were able to find somebody who'd had experience in exactly that situation, would that be somebody you'd want to talk to? Well, um, is that is are we talking about you, Mr. Bothwell, or are we talking about someone who's related to you? I've actually done exactly that, and I'd be very interested in talking to you more about it. Fine. Well, why don't you tell me? I don't have a lot of time. Uh, why don't you tell me uh, what I need to know, and uh, let's see if it makes sense that we have another conversation. Well, in a nutshell, I think I was able to work for an organization that started out very small, and by the time we were done, we'd grown to $2 billion in assets, and along the way, I helped identify and articulate an identity for that company, and it served them well. Okay. 
All right, so let's let's stop here. Right, I was doing here. fine until that one. Okay. Um, we really need to put together, okay, a strong pitch, okay, where you really can wow them, especially if you're calling a bank. You should be able to wow them if it is a comparable position. Mm-hmm. So also, too, even though I said to you that we really didn't know what we're looking for, which is realistic. If they've never had the position open before and they're a new bank and the CEO doesn't have a strong background in marketing, it's not unreasonable to say that. Mm-hmm. However, what you need to do is when this occurs, you want to pick, probe, and pitch. In other words, the CEO is saying that they don't know. However, there are questions that you need to ask. Remember, you came from a bank that closed. The first question in your mind should be, is this going to be a stable bank? Now, you're not going to say, is this going to be a stable <laughs> bank, obviously, but you are going to have to probe in a clever way to determine whether, in fact, this is an organization that you would like to work for. Right. So that should be your first concern, the stability of the organization. The second concern should be the extent to which they're really serious about doing the marketing. I mean, you did heavy-duty marketing mm-hmm. at A and B bank shares. Mm-hmm. We don't know if Big Bucks Bank has the same thing in mind. Right. We want to get at, in a subtle way, what they have in mind. The CEO should be able to give you a broad brush of that. Well, and too, when you talk to... Often when you talk to somebody, you can get a feel for that just just by what they hit on. And, and for me, all I can say is that it's a feel. You know when you've got somebody that's like-minded across from you. And, and in the one instance where I did turn down an offer, it was partly because things just didn't match up. But, but two, the culture and the, the mentality wasn't the same. I, I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't feel that same mentality reflected so the question of fit absolutely plays in all right but but you see what i'm getting at about that you have to ask in other words it's a two-sided thing here you're going to be asking questions because you have to decide whether in fact the opportunity is the right fit right so that's why we need to create over time the blueprint of the right fit and so After you've asked those questions, if it is the right fit, then your job then is to match up to those points right then and there, very quickly. If it's the right fit, you probe, you basically outline the position for the CEO because you're the expert on it. Mm -hmm. In other words, here's what I would do after you learn more about it. 
You don't immediately see, say, here's what I would do. You first have to learn more about it and what they have in mind and get some sense as to, as to the size of the department that you would be able to build. Mm-hmm. Okay? So then you match up. If it sounds, if it is the right fit, you then match up. And after you finish matching up, at the end of the conversation, now notice, salary negotiable, all right? I'm a believer that you do not let salary wait until the end of the interview process. So I have no difficulty with you asking a question, can you give me some indication about the salary range of this position? Right. Okay? Without disclosing what you earned. Because you're carefully balancing with blueprint with against the short-term potential. And, all right? Okay. Okay. So that I'm getting your feet wet here with the role playing. So you see why we did the role playing. You see how I'm able to use that to show you how to use the method. Right, and that absolutely helps to go into a call and and have a framework that you're going to try and work right. With and notice what and what notice what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to take charge of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I call that manage the process. The person at the other end doesn't know that's what you're doing, but does see you as assertive and self-confident. And you certainly want to come across as that. Right. And everything that you've said so far absolutely would apply, too, if if it were my own agency and I was making a cold call to get new business. Okay. Absolutely. The same thing. Uh Uh-huh. Good. I'm glad you see the connection. I like the pitch probe. No, the pick, the pick probe. probe and pitch. Oh, you'll love it. I have, a, I have a whole chapter calling Selling Your Brand, Package to Pitch. See, I should, I should relate to that just fine. Absolutely. Okay. 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 All right. All right. Let's go further. You're fortunate, Nat. The right fit method is applicable to all aspects of your life. In fact, I refer to what I do as one-stop coaching. Let's talk a bit about your personal life. <laughs> You're single and live with your four-year-old dog, Tanner, who is a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Yes. Tell us why Tanner is the right fit. How did you select him? Actually, when I was first looking to get my first dog, I, I <laughs> and, and people that know me, this this probably won't surprise them, but I, I got a book that actually matches your personality to the breed. And after you do all the self-assessment questions, and I was so proud of myself for being honest and, and going through all that, it basically said I could have any dog I wanted because my personality was such that I could put up with a lot. And ah, that's, that's very interesting. <laughs> well, if you're... If you're wound tight, you probably shouldn't have certain breeds of dogs that are going to cause you trouble. And it it absolutely made sense. Um, For me, I I had a pretty wide selection to to choose from, and and the the Ridgeback was just a unique dog. What's unique? Because I I honestly have to say I am not familiar with the Ridgeback. Can you give us some information? Absolutely. They're great dogs, and they're, they're beautiful dogs. They are a South African dog. 
that is a mix between a, a native South African dog that had a mane like a horse. And so it's actually a big calic that runs down their back. And they bred that with other breeds, uh, and, they, and they specifically bred it to hunt lions in South Africa originally. So it's got a very interesting history. And that, that mix of, of a sporting dog plus a dog that would protect the settlements is, is essentially what got bred into the personality of the dog. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting dog in that uh, very side-oriented, and not that we have much call for lion hunting in northwest Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> I should hope not. Right. But the occasional squirrel, you know, we do get a we, we do get some activity from her out of that. But you know, it it's a dog that is inside very very lazy and very mild mannered and very much a couch potato and then outside she absolutely likes to run and and chase and, and be active and I think that the intelligence of the dog and the low maintenance aspect of the dog are two things that um, really made well made that's the part of right your blueprint fit. right that's well, that's yeah that's your blueprint that's right and after my first experience I just knew that was that was that was it for me and and this is Tanner's actually the second Ridgeback I've had so now Tanner why is 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 Tanner tan yeah, she was more tan than anyone else in her litter, but um, and it just seemed to fit. So yeah, she had a personality that was, she's her own dog. She's absolutely her own dog. Okay, it sounds like you love it to death. <laughs> she's a good one. She absolutely is. Now, if you decided to search for a spouse or a significant <laughs> other, what are the top three attributes on your blueprint of the right fit? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that follows the dog conversation very well. So I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying uh, why I did Well, I will say why I did it that way. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly. Um, I know that it's easier to talk about why, why and how you selected the dog. So I decided to ask that question first, and we'll still, we're still talking about your personal life. Are you doing a pick, probe, and pitch on me right now? Well, I could be. <laughs> I could be. I've been doing it all during our conversation. Okay. I'm the creator of pick, probe, and pitch. So... Uh, let's let's talk a bit about this because I want to get into the weighting of the importance of these attributes. Okay. So that you learn about um, the weighting of importance of things. So pick three that you. I mean, we're not saying that um, at the same time that you find either a right fit position or you find uh, a right fit business that you also need to find the right fit spouse or significant other. It just gives us some practice in this endeavor. Okay. Okay? I would say sense of humor, intelligence, and chemistry. Sense of humor, intelligence, chemistry. How would you weight the importance? In other words, if I gave you 100%, what percentage would you give to each? Boy, I don't know. I think they're 
they may be equally important, but that doesn't sound right. I, I, well, no, I mean, they could be if that's how you feel. If if that's how you feel, that's fine. Um, but if you think that one is of you know of, of major significance, I think know, so that, right. I think that's a gray area. I, it's it's hard for me to say because it's it, it does come down to the individual, and I just know that those those are three things. If you're asking me what stands out in my mind or what gets my attention, it's it's absolutely a mix of 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 the. The intelligent ability to to laugh and find humor and and and, and smart smart humor. Um, okay, all right. Along, along with the chemistry, there's there's something about you know you just you just know when when there is something there that's that's the right fit. Okay, know. all right. Well, I have a feeling as you read through Win Without Competing that more things will start to come to mind because I do have a chapter about personal life. The last chapter of the book is entitled The Right Fit, An Approach to Life. Hmm. And I think that will help you articulate perhaps a little more about this. You know, I don't think my situation is necessarily a result of not knowing what the right fit is for me. I just, I think it is probably influenced by, you know, again, if you know, stubborn, stubborn about certain things, and I think, you know, on this on this subject, there's there's definitely a a profile that 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 suits me, and it's just, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if, you know, if I keep my, well, in in one of the few pages of your book. Uh, like the early page that you allowed me to read a day ago because I was concerned about this conversation, right? Right, right, yeah. So I allowed you, let's tell the audience what I allowed you to read. Right, because I was a little nervous about this whole deal. Yeah, we we know that. That's why I allowed you. I allowed you to read the back cover of the book, which has three reviews on it. I allowed you to read the um, candidate's praise, the right fit method, and the reviewer's applause for Win Without Competing, and also the foreword to the book by and Tom Lombardo, the founding editor-in-chief of WebMD. And I believe also the acknowledgments and the prologue. Am I correct in that? I believe you're correct. And somewhere in there, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I know that I followed the letter of the law on this, but somewhere in there I think you said, no match is better than a bad match. And so on that, that's absolutely my my philosophy on this on this whole on the personal life. I'll tell you exactly to what you're referring. Okay. You're referring to actually the second thing you probably first read the back cover, then you went to read Candidates Praise the Right Fit Method. A candidate who asked not to receive his offer. And what he said was that basically, that's what he said. It says very clearly, she believes no match is better than a bad match. And this is a testament to the power of her process. I totally agreed with that comment. And, and that's when I read that, I was, I was much more at ease with this, this whole process. 
well, that's why I wanted you to read those things because I knew that you basically had won an award, but you really didn't understand what you were getting yourself into. <laughs> that's right. So how are you feeling now? I'm comfortable. I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, we're doing this, and I'm I'm excited about uh, seeing what your book is all about and how we might be able to apply it. Great. All right. So now it's time to start reading, Matt. Okay. Um, you have your book there, right? Yes. Okay. Please open the book to the contents page because mm-hmm. I know your references said that you're honest above and beyond. So I know you haven't even looked at the contents page. (laughs) Okay. It's a drama in four acts. Okay. We have Act 1, Setting the Stage. Notice, let me go, let me name through those chapters and tell you a few things because basically I'm going to suggest what I would like you to focus in on to really get yourself started you know, doing the right fit method. Okay. Okay. The win without competing, the in, which is the introduction, chapter mm-hmm. one, the concept of the right fit method, which I've been delving into as we've been talking. Okay. Make no assumptions, open those doors, chapter two. And, of course, we've been touching upon that. Um, chapter three, cereal, <laughs> eggs, or yogurt. The small changes come first. Okay. Okay. That chapter has exercises in it. Okay. I want to talk to you about your routine. Because I know in your pitch, you articulated that you stuck to your routine religiously on a daily basis. I'm going to free you from that. We want you to become flexible because rigidity is the enemy of creativity okay so if you don't mind sharing with our listeners what do you eat for breakfast or do you have breakfast (laughs) i think that change i think that does change from day to day depending on how my time schedule is is going but generally i'll i'll grab something in the morning at a drive-thru if I don't have something in the pantry. But I don't, okay. often, I don't often have anything in the pantry. So generally I grab something on the way, on the way in. All right. Um, well, I'd like you to, you'll see, there are some exercises that I'd like you to do in terms of keeping a record of what you eat and how to make changes, and then also in terms of your daily routine. So the next time that you'll be coming on the show is May 20th. And at that point, I'll be eager, and so will our listeners, to hear about the small changes. Okay. Okay? Yeah, I think okay. Yeah, because we we have to get you uh, sort of very flexible, so I'm, I'm that fairly flexible. I, I do still get up, and I think it's important to get up and get going in the morning. Well, that's fine. There's no problem getting up and getting going. The the, the point is that, am I correct? Because after all, I certainly don't want to make an erroneous assumption. Am I correct that you order things the same way every day? 
you're correct that I like what I like, and when I when I like what I like, I probably don't deviate very much. Okay, we're going to shake that up. These are matters of yeah, as far as matters of breakfast go. And and I guess yeah, there are other things beyond breakfast. Okay, I'll give you. Yeah, that. there are more. In other words, I just started with breakfast. You'll see. There are other exercises dealing with the routine here, about okay. looking at email, um, listening to voicemail, all of that. Okay. You're going to create a, some new exciting routines for yourself. Okay. Okay. How you get to work? Because I know you've set up an office to work from. All of that stuff. Okay. So you don't, you know, necessarily take the same route. Right. I, I, and this is and this is good for the brain too, Nat. I have to tell you. Okay. Okay. So let's go further. As you're reading through, okay. So you will have finished Act One, and then you're going to go to Act Two. How the Right Fit Method works. You'll start with Chapter 4, and it is important because of how the book is designed to go through it systematically. Okay. Because one thing is built on another, and things are interrelated. And you'll see there are storytellers that come on stage and tell their stories. And I weave those stories throughout many chapters. So it is important to approach this systematically. Okay. I'm, I'm liking all the titles of the chapters in Act. Yeah. Yeah. So the core identity will help you figure out whether we should be taking the root of the employee or the root of the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Now, it is possible, of course, to do both. But I'm going to let you sort it out before our big conversation on May 20th. Of course, we'll talk in between, but that'll be our big conversation, our big coaching session. Okay. Okay? So then, Chapter 5, Set the Standard, Forget the Competition. That gets back to what we were talking about, raising the bar higher and higher. Shaping your brand, the right fit talks about the creation of the resume. But the creation of the resume in relation to the call. Because you can have a basic resume that you would then tailor after you finish the cold call and arrange the interview. You would further tailor the resume to show the exquisite match. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, selling your brand, Chapter 7, Package to Pitch. You're going to love it. Okay. Because you already said you love Pick, Probe, and Pitch. I, I do like that. Okay. okay. Um, you know, Donald Trump said that the only people that do not need to broadcast themselves, because this talks about how to create the broadcast, are nuns. Other <laughs> than that... We all need to broadcast ourselves. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Chapter 8, sharing your brand, manage the process. That has to do with taking charge. Okay. Okay. The calculated close, finish the deal, 
before it's done. Talks about how to gradually close the employer. Or if you take the entrepreneurial route, how would you gradually close the client? Okay. Potential client. Right, absolutely. Chapter 10, the total package, the flawless fit. It is. Nothing it? would be missing. No socks rolling down your legs, Matt. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. So, um, okay. So you're going to be making changes. You can keep a record of your changes. When you do the exercises, you'll basically have the record of your changes. You'll be thinking about what you want to do in terms of employee, entrepreneur, uh, could it be a combination? I'd like you to also create a blueprint of the right fit position and or business so we can talk about that. And I do want you to weight the importance of those components. Okay, create a blueprint of the right fit, fit position or, or and yeah. or business. Because remember, right now, we don't know where you think is right for you. And I explain in Chapter 4, Under the Core Identity, how to figure that out. Okay. And there are exercises to do there. Okay. Okay. So, um, there are a couple of other things I'd like you to do. I'd like you to listen to two radio shows that I've done um Fairly recently, one uh, interview of Grace Tiscarino Sato. You'll be reading her story in Win Without Competing. Okay. She's a, a senior manager at Siemens. Okay. And Patty Rager, R-A-G-E-R. She was the chairman of the board, president uh, CEO, publisher at uh, Nurse Week and Nursing Spectrum, which combined, uh, because Nursing Spectrum bought Nurse Week, is the largest nursing publication in the world. Wow, okay. Her story will be in Wooden Without Competing, and I think after you listen to the interviews, you'll see why I selected both of those guests. Okay. Now, and I can listen to those shows through right blog. on com. Okay. Yeah, in other words, on the home page of com, all of our Block Talk radio shows are listed. You just click on the date of the show. So in the center of the page, you see the descriptions. On the left side, you see the photos of the guests. And, of course, when you go to that page, whose photo will you see? Yours. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Looking very nice. Okay. okay. All right. So, um, now, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Can you share your email address? They may have some thoughts for you. They may want to cheer you on. Absolutely. Uh, especially, if, I mean, I think it does help to talk to other people that have either been through it or are going through it now. And 
Um, that, that'd be fine. My email address is nat.mail at mac, M-A-C, dot com. Good. Also, too, uh, I know that, um, oh, about a half hour, an hour after the show tonight, you will be posting your video, your first video. And um, I know that you're planning to, oh, and by the way, it's going to be on YouTube. Is that correct, Nat? Yes. And okay. this is part, I, I, we need credit for, for Nat changing his behavior because this is not something I would typically do. But in the Good. Let's hear about credit for Nat changing his behavior. Great. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to make note of that. Okay. I, I will right. absolutely have, have a video of some sort. I think it would be interesting and maybe helpful if we, you know, we'll follow this through. You know, so you've got my reaction now as I know nothing, and we'll see how things change over the course of studying the book. Okay. Should our audience be looking for updates in terms of YouTube and your videos? How will they learn about the updates? Because we will be having you back, of course, on May 20th, but after all, I'm sure everybody is eager to hear how things are going with you because they know what you're supposed to be working on because we just set it forth here. I also have a, a site up. I've, I had a site up previously to this to show my work and, and what I've done, and I've made some changes to that. That site will still be out there, but uh, the, the site that, that I've created is is going to have these videos on it as well, and that can be found through LinkedIn. If you just search Nat Bothwell, I'll pop up on LinkedIn, and if you click on that page, I believe my, my websites that I do have are available. Okay, great. Also, too, let me ask you this. Is your photo up on LinkedIn? No. Okay, well, that would be a lovely thing to do. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll, uh, that'll be the next step. All right. Sounds good to me. And, and with, along with the yogurt, eggs, and cereal, I'll, I'll, I'll have a picture out there. Okay, great. All right. Nat, I have to say it was an absolute pleasure coaching you today. And I really enjoyed sharing my Right Fit method with you. How do you feel now? Well, I feel comfortable now. And, and I want to thank you for the opportunity. I don't know what's ahead of me, but I am going to... Uh, definitely give it my best effort and I'm I think it's just nice to have something new to process and try to apply and see how that works for me and what changes may result okay do you see that you will have new ways of approaching things new solutions to things well, that might have been foreboding over the last year Absolutely. I think if you've not gone through it, then your approach is probably a little ad hoc, and that's probably the best way to describe what I've done to this point. It's the school of hard knocks as opposed to uh, this will be very interesting for me. It's something you've obviously had plenty of case studies to back up, and you've refined it over the years. So uh, to you know, study this and digest it and attempt to apply it, it's, it's absolutely a breath of fresh air. Great. Well, thank you so much, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Dr. Arlene. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Now, um, next week, we were scheduled to have Dr. Julianne Malvo, president of Bennett College for Women, 
Uh, unfortunately, Dr. Malvo will not be able to join us, but she will be joining us during the summer. I'm really looking forward to interviewing her. She is a prominent economist and journalist, and she's appeared on CNN and Fox and uh, a delightful personality and will be, I'm sure, a stellar guest who has read my book, Win Without Competing, and who does use, I believe, some of the key components of that. So next week we will not be on air on April 29th. We will, however, be on air on Wednesday, May 6th. Jan F. Constantine, General Counsel for the Authors Guild, who won a $125 million settlement in Authors Guild et al. versus Google. My guest is distinguished intellectual property lawyer, Jan F. Constantine, who led the class action lawsuit against Google to a landmark decision to protect authors whose works are available on the Internet. Throughout her career, Jan has established legal precedent as senior vice president at News Corp, deputy general counsel for Macmillan, and assistant United States attorney of New York City's Eastern District. When she is not performing as a lawyer, Jan performs cabaret at various venues in New York City and serves on several not-for-profit boards. To learn more about the Right Fit Method, and my book, Win Without Competing, visit winwithoutcompeting.com and drbarro.com. To reach me personally, call 310-441-5305. Please remember that I am based in Los Angeles. 310-441-5305. Remember this trigger tip. Walk down the right fit road. Goodbye for now. This is Dr. Arlene, author, Win Without Competing, Career Coach One, founder and CEO, Barrow Global Search, Inc. <laughs>